0: Dot Bubble Audio. Hello. Welcome back to Loud Women, starring Marissa Emanuel and yours truly, your problematic fave, me, Tika Kavanaugh. Uh, We're here to discuss certain elements of Lindy West's memoir, Shrill, Notes from a Loud Woman, and something that I think the both of us are curious as to how they'll address it on the show starring AD Bryant, premiering on Hulu March 15th. Uh, Uh, Counting down. We're ready. We're so ready. So I think one thing that uh, both Marissa and I curious to see how the show will address this topic is, uh, the subject of dating while large. It's
1: a big one to tackle. Uh, and I think, I think that Lindy addressed it really like elegantly in her book. She touched on it enough. I felt like it was enough. It wasn't beating it over the head. Um, but it was, it, it sort of started to scratch the surface of what that experience is like, um, and so I'm. Uh, I'll be looking forward to to seeing how how they address that subject.
0: Yeah, because we'd seen glimpses of, Adi Bryant's characters, friends and coworkers, but I, I I'm just like, hmm, who's the love interest in this, and is he also a person of color like her in real life husband?
1: I would I would love that because I really think the story that she tells about her and her husband is so, or her now husband is so beautiful. And there were some really sweet, tender moments between them that showed real vulnerability. And I hope even if it's not an exact reflection of her and Aham's love story, I hope that it's, uh, it, it sort of gets at that tenderness and vulnerability. You know, I think it was, I, I went back to to reread a little bit of it today. And it was so interesting the way that she slowly reveals this love story between the two of them in the book and it sort of gets at that vulnerability she has and that feeling of uh of of unworthiness and like she's not good enough because she they knew each other for a long time and she just didn't even foresee she couldn't even see herself with him and so she didn't even enter that didn't even enter as a thought in her mind that the two of them would be together uh and it was just sort of sweet how the whole thing evolved and how highly they view each other in such a human to human kind of way and I would I would love to see that theme in some way reflected in the show
0: yeah and I think that really ties into just the psychology of being a woman of size, right? Because I can say from personal experience, I really internalize this message that if you're not a certain size, if you wear a pant size that's in the double digits, you are sur- you are suddenly less worthy of love and male attention. Male attention is a quantifiable way to um, assess your value as a woman. Not even like a human being, but just like as a woman person. So like if you are not, if, if you are not built a certain way, if you enjoy cheese on everything, <laughs> suddenly you're unlovable. Suddenly you are not, you, yeah, like you just don't deserve uh, to be dated, to be courted, to be treated like any other woman.
1: I'd be curious to hear if you have thought, if you, if you think back to sort of coming, like growing up as a young woman, when you remember sort of having that feeling for the first time, because I literally remember, I don't remember being aware of my size until I was, I think, a freshman in high school. And somebody asked what my pant size was. Like a girl, like not a guy. That would be a weird question for a man to ask. Just a heads up, gentlemen. Don't ask anyone what their pant size is. But I told her, I was like, at that point, I think I was a size eight. I wasn't. And I was just sort of an average size, but for a high schooler, it was a little bit more than they were expecting. And the girl goes, oh my God, Marissa, you can't be a size eight. There's no way. Like that's, you're, you're too pretty. Like that's, there's no way you're a size eight. And I was like, what? And so I remember, and I've always, that number has always stuck in my head. And so I think that we have, we all have these experiences when we're children or when we're really young. Uh, that sort of stay imprinted on us forever, where we do learn that lesson of size is correlated to to beauty, and then I or size is correlated to worth or self worth, and I think that sort of stuck with me throughout high school and and as I got older too. Do you have any do, do you have any of those moments that you think about?
0: I just want our listeners to know that my eyes rolled nearly out of their sockets <laughs> when you talked about that. Oh my God, Marissa! Oh my. God. Mm. mm. Ugh, I have an appointment with my autometrist in about a month, so we're going to address that because <laughs> I need to pop my eyeball back in real quick.
1: Yeah, people in the, people in high school are mean, but it's it's that girl learned it from somewhere, right? Like somebody mm-hmm. told her, and then those things just get passed along and like at the larger scale, um that's why I think it's so important to that kids have these role models to look up to and Um, and understand, Hey, you can be a woman and you can have sexuality and not be a size
0: four. Right, right. And and so, so that I think, um, like just in school in general, like that, I think is a huge reason why I internalized that message so much at a very early age. I was made aware of my size by the time I was about seven or so. Uh, because what? yeah, well I had sustained an injury, uh, and they put me on like steroid injections and like, well, that's going to make you puff up a little, you know, yeah. just a little. And cause kids are trash. Uh, they let me know. <laughs> and, and so in addition to having gone through the trauma of surgeries and steroid injections and blah, blah, blah. I was also attending a Catholic school and in a Catholic school setting, you very much have these patriarchal messages of like girls are supposed to be this way boys are supposed to be this way and you are supposed to set yourself up in a way where you uh, get a boy that's the system that's the that's what you're kind of taught or at least I can't speak to every catholic school but at least at the school that i attended it was very much like don't asp- why, why are you aspiring to things you got to grow up and get married what are you doing right so what, is, what are these ideas that you have? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so because, because already um, I was a minority in a predominantly white school, there was an awareness that I did not already fit a certain standard of beauty. But in addition to that, having gained weight, especially as early as seven years old, it was like, you're not a girl or you're not a girly girl. Or like, yeah, you're a girl, but you're not like as valuable as a girl as the rest of the girls who don't eat forever. And uh, screw you. I like to eat.
1: <laughs> and this is not to diss on the smaller girls in any way, shape or form. I think it's just we... Uh, It it is a different experience, and they have, I'm sure, their host of other challenges that they're dealing with, too. But um, I definitely had a similar experience growing up. There was this idea of uh, you would measure yourself up compared to how other people looked and dressed crazily enough, which it was like, how are you comparing how we dress? We're all wearing navy navy blue pants and white polo shirts, but some girls had the American Eagle pants that were like, Hip huggers and some of us couldn't fit into those, so we had our Lands End navy blue pants, uh, and we were not the cool girls. But it's it's really crazy to think back how much those things have taken root, and then as you get older, those are sort of subtly reinforced over and over again, subtly or not so subtly reinforced. Um, I think growing up, I was never super overweight, and so I don't want to claim like a. a a fight that wasn't mine. It's I some people have had a much harder time with those things than I have. Um but it also was never super easy as well. And uh you really see those differences on a huge scale when you are surrounded by uh people who are much smaller than you and you are at the peak of your puberty and like trying to figure out where you fit in uh and and it's very clear that you don't fit in with those people.
0: Right, right. And I I mean, I think what a lot of people fail to acknowledge is, I mean, I can't necessarily speak for boys. I feel like boys who are overweight don't get the same level. They, they, They endure a certain degree of bullying and teasing, but they don't get the same level of abuse. As little girls.
1: Because I think you get teased as a boy, but it's not as deep rooted because what we're talking about is like, oh, I looked different because I had a couple extra pounds on me. But it's also that reinforcing of the idea that I'm not good enough to be a partner. I'm not good enough to be in this group of friends. Whereas I don't think it's that like that as much with with boys. But I, I don't know. And I think it's different in different communities. But um, I think in the, I think it, I, somebody was, I was listening to an interview the other day, somebody talking about how this issue in the gay community is, is huge for men too. Like that's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, um, similarly to men, there's a lot of, sorry, similarly to, to how women feel, there's a lot of those struggles. So, um, I do think it's, de- there's men have it hard too. Um, but I don't think it's as deep rooted in like your value.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because men aren't indoctrinated with the idea that hmm, the end all be all is marriage and kids for them and their totally. lives.
1: Yeah, I think that actually that probably is a big piece of the difference, right? Is that they you know, we since we were very young, it's the, since you're 5 years old and and people are joking about, "Oh, you're going to be a good wife and oh, you got to you got to find a husband." Like you're hearing those jokes and so yeah. um I don't think men get that as much when they're when they're growing up. Um But, you know, how did you so you mentioned that had a lot to do with your, you know, your health. And I, I I didn't not to the same degree, but I think a big part of the reason I've carried weight most of my adult life is the is being on antidepressants. And I have always said that, like, I would rather have an extra 20 pounds than be not on antidepressants because that's (laughs) not good for, that is not good for anybody. I will gladly carry this weight to spare my husband from my wrath. Uh, but, but joking aside, it's sort of, uh, it's sort of a struggle when you are existing in, in the world and there's, there's, um, you're taking in all these, these signals from other people about your weight, about what you're eating, even if even am not saying it. And there's part of you that wants to just be like, I'm trying, I'm doing, I'm, I'm eating the best I can, and I'm working out, and I'm doing all this stuff. Uh, and Lindy talks about that in her book, A Fair Amount, is how people just don't understand um, everything that goes into this. And you never know why somebody is the way they, they are. And so uh, those judgments can be really painful.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, like a huge catalyst to a lot of my weight gain as a kid was, okay, I have this medical situation. Now I'm being pumped with steroids to, you know, contain a whole bunch of crap I didn't ask for. And then uh, I got teas like, oh, all you do is eat. All you do is eat. And then I started stress eating because I was stressed out and being told that all I do is eat. So it became like this vicious cycle. And it's like something that I initially couldn't help turned into something that I could help, but because, um, but because the mental health of women and people of color and especially women of color, just isn't something that is of a major concern to society overall. People weren't like thinking about, Oh, are we having some sort of, is she going through something psychological? Are we having some sort of, uh, detrimental? Are our words having some sort of detrimental impact on her and af- affecting her to, a- and causing this sort of behavior? Is she, is she stressed out? Like, no one actually, I, I mean, oh gosh. I'm just saying, like, no one actually takes a moment to check in. I've I've noticed at least with like women of color in particular, because the the idea of, um, oh, you're so strong is projected onto us from way early on. So it's like, okay no one is actually checking for if I'm like depressed or stressed out. And I think, too, like regardless of whether it is like you have a medical condition that leads to weight gain or it's a result of medicine or it's a result of maybe you're just having a good time and food is a good time, right? <laughs> um No one checks in to see... I, and I think... I, I wish I had maybe picked up more of that from the memoir of like, oh my God, is anybody actually checking in on Lindy West? Is anybody actually... Like in the times when she's like, I'm trying, I'm trying to eat healthy. I'm trying to conform. Is anybody actually checking in on her mental health? Because it's not only just like something that affects uh, people of color in terms of like a neglect of mental health, but because, as soon as you are a person of a certain size or like a, you're just shaped differently, suddenly you also... Uh, take on this uh, second-class subhuman status where no one checks in on you. It's just kind of like, oh, they're this shape, whatever. Right. You become a
1: two-dimensional character in your own life in a lot of ways. You're no longer three-dimensional. You are just this caricature of a human being or whatever it is. And so even with Lindy West, her being so much of an activist, a body positivity activist, a feminist, people just see her through that lens. And I think we do forget that there are... There are things going on under the surface there.
0: At no point did I feel like I picked up on anyone checking in on Lindy West and like the triggers for the stress, the triggers for the eating, the, or, you know, or just, or checking in on the stress of being her size in a world that is not accepting of people of her size, even if they are totally healthy, right? Even if she has great cholesterol, it's like, <laughs> oh, you're unhealthy because you yeah. look like this.
1: You know, that's something that touches on something that I hope they address in the in the show. Is I noticed in the book there weren't a lot of mentions of her having friends, like mm. close friends, and and I wonder if that's just just happenstance or if, if that's something that in her life, she doesn't have a lot of people close to her and, um, not to, this has nothing to do with her, not to psychoanalyze her, but I do wonder if maybe there is something to be said for when people start treating, when people start treating you like a two-dimensional character, does that cause you to pull away from other people and does that make it harder for you to connect with people and I look back and and I don't feel like this in my my present life because I do feel good like I've gotten past some of this stuff but like definitely when I was younger I felt very alienated at times because I looked different and because I wasn't going to the same store is like, I couldn't just go into H&M and buy a top, like a going out top. And it's like those little things that sort of build up over time and build up this wall of you sort of pushing friendships away. And, um, and I don't know if that's something that, um, that she's experienced, but I would love to sort of see that, how that friendship plays out in her life.
0: Uh, the going out tops for, uh, back in my day, were purchased at Contempo Casuals if you remember. <laughs> oh man, I just yeah, dated I would, myself.
1: I, I could do I could do Claire's for a while. Side note, Claire's apparently is going out of business. Oh they've been that. gone. And they've, I was like they they've been around, but I think that they are only just now filing for bankruptcy. So RIP Claire's
0: <laughs> They've been gone. Oh my gosh. No more no more getting your ears but yeah.
1: <laughs> oh not Claire's
0: uh, Charlotte Roos. Sorry. Oh, Charlotte Roos. No,
1: you know what? You're totally right. Charlotte Roos. I'm getting my, I'm getting my nineties mixed up. You said ears pierced and I was like, oh wait, I got that wrong. Charlotte uh, yeah, Roos. It's Charlotte Roos is going out of business. Not Charlotte. Is, yeah. It's very different. Um, I, yeah, I have all these very vivid memories of like going into the mall when you're 16 and everyone would be like trying on the clothes and stuff. And I'd be like, oh my God, these shoes are so cute. Look at these earrings. Oh, <laughs> my God, a belt. <laughs> <laughs> that don't have a size. Um, but yeah. it's true. It's, it's, those things start to build up that wall, too. And that impacts the mental health. And I think all this stuff is is involved. And it is all sort of cyclical and feeds into each other.
0: You know, I, and like we, we touched a little bit on perhaps the the childhood psychology and and potential trauma that could be the root of a lot of behavior now but like when you start to get older when you're like in you know senior year high school college and then graduating and starting to live a life and everything and existing in the real world outside of a school setting um, I think uh, as someone who's managed to float around several different friend groups I built up i'm not sure if lindy west had had the same experience but now that you say like oh she doesn't talk about a lot of friendships but just i am someone who had developed a certain degree of mistrust of other people in friend groups because it started to feel like ooh, am is this person only hanging out with me because i'm sort of their unfortunate sidekick who makes them Mm. look good like, oh, hanging out with me just makes them more appealing.
1: What was that movie that came out like five years ago? The Designated Ugly Fat Friend? Uh, the Duff? Uh, Which can't believe that got made in the last... It was re- relatively recently. Uh, anyway, but it, it is that idea of, of, um, of filling a role. And you're like, do you actually like me? Or am I sort of... Yeah, am I sort of like the hanger on? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that contributes to... Something that Lindy talked about a little bit in her book and coming into her own volume and her own self and personality. Um, I think we, when you are the larger person in your friend group growing up, you tend to feel shoehorned into the like funny fat friend role where you do start to feel like I need my personality to lead because. I'm not like the hot one. I'm not bringing the boys to the yard. I need to do contribute something and for me it tended to be I I got loud. Like and probably annoyingly loud, but I my my personality became bigger and bigger and I was always cracking jokes and often at my own expense and and I wonder if um if you if you felt that way too like you're obviously a uh working comic at this point but could, was any of that fed by your childhood drama
0: oh man i feel like in a way it was a weird opposite of that like the larger i got the more introverted i became mm. because I, I i just was never allowed into spaces where i could be loud or or if i was being loud in any circumstance it's suddenly oh she ghetto. She loud mm. trope. So there's cer- there's certain types of baggage that is attached to not only being a woman who is loud and vocal and the personality, but also like ugh, ugh. Well, in I I can't speak to anywhere else, but you know, Boston is known for its artisanal racism, and so we.
1: <laughs> Can you expand upon that?
0: Because... <laughs> oh, it is ugh, mm, ugh. Give us a little taste back. Ugh, you know I will say. South Boston back in the day, I could not walk around in broad daylight in that neighborhood, but now it's being gentrified by white or white people. A lot of tech bros, (laughs) a lot of tech bros, but that is where you could get like some good old fashioned towny racism from back in the day. Now I have to bring my own rocks for people to throw at me in Southie. (laughs)
1: Like what is the downside of gentrification? Nobody talks about where are you going to go and have people be racist at you? Right in the street. God. God I'm
0: I, I feel robbed anyway
1: so anyway so, Boston and their autismal racism
0: right so like y- y- the minute that you don't know your place in some areas or in predominantly white spaces it's like oh there's additional negativity that's uh, projected onto you and, and and more reason for people to look down on you so so because I'm someone who grew up in the Boston and Cambridge area I became and and, and went to predominantly white schools and everything, I became even more uh, introverted and just retreated even more into myself because it's like I was put in these positions where I had to know my place to even get by. So it's like a whole different kind of circumstance where it's like I I didn't feel as though I had the same kind of freedom to be as loud and as expressive. And so like... Now that now that like I'm on stage with a microphone and telling people about how I'm not getting enough whale spunk for my dollar from Netflix, the movie Blackfish. Uh, Yeah,
1: I'll leave that one. (laughs) I'm just going to leave that one alone.
0: Right, right. So, so it's like a huge shift for me where I feel like maybe going into comedy felt like a more, may have felt like a more natural transition to uh, Lindy West because uh, she, and I, 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 I appreciate her acknowledgement of her, um, her privilege as a white woman in the world. Uh, but I think it was, it, it, it's easier, even though it's not, it's difficult. To be a plus size woman, especially, I think it's easier to slide into the role of being the funny, gregarious, outgoing, big personality friend whose personality fills the body, if, if you will, if that Mm -hmm. makes sort of sense, um, because you know if your body takes up space your personality's got to match and take up that same amount of space and you have to, and you have to display the ownership and you know you you are the uh, you make yourself the butt of the joke first before anybody can get to you you, you develop that sort of like defense mechanism in a sense uh and, and it's it's more acceptable to be the 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 loud and big personality person. Oh, man, I wish I had a better way of phrasing that (laughs) because ESL. Uh, But it's easier to slide into that role. And I'm glad at least she acknowledges um, that if she were a woman of color, it might not be the same.
1: I I never even really thought about it that way, but I can totally see how you have these multiple layers of... um, of restrictions being placed on you. Like when did you feel, did you always feel that way? Like when you were a young girl that sort of know your place mentality that you're talking about, was that something that you feel like was always there or did you realize that as you got older?
0: When I came to the U S for sure. Cause from having, Oh gosh. Oh now I, Ooh, maybe we should edit that out because I just nabbed 21 Savage for being a <laughs> British citizen. Uh, I was
1: going to say, do you want to go into that a little bit?
0: Uh, ah, or okay. no? <laughs> <laughs> having, having come to the U S but like at a small age, uh, from having, oh man, I don't want to get into my whole life story. Uh, but my dad is American. Uh, and he was horrified at the idea that, uh, people from the Caribbean ship their kids off <laughs> for like a time being. My mom was getting her masters. Okay. She didn't have time. <laughs> she didn't have time extended fam- it, it's customary for extended family to raise children uh so coming back to the u.s and everything uh having gone from a relatively homogenous environment on the caribbean of course black people but of all different shades of course uh but like still being part of this world and this community to go into uh oh, in an environment where like i'm automatically different and not understanding the dynamics of of race in particular and the uniquely racist elements of boston like i i learned very very quickly just i just wasn't ready i didn't realize right i didn't realize that i could i couldn't raise my hand but so many times because ugh, who does she think she is uh, so that's something that... I That's a lesson that I picked up very quickly as soon as I came to the U.S. Where it's like, oh, okay. And
1: how old were you at that point? Uh frankly?
0: Like four. It, three going on four. Wow. Yeah. So it's
1: like, it's that clear when you're so... You were so young and so, sort of fresh developmentally, but you still were able to pick up, like, hold up. Something is different. I can't behave the same way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's something... That I, and I think a lot of my fellow um, students of color internalize very quickly. But also, the complicated thing is that being a mixed race person in my class also meant that there was a certain degree of unacceptance from black students, even though I'm like, "Ah, but I promise I'm one of you. You know, it's like, oh, no, you think you're better than us because you're this and that or it's a whole thing. That's a whole other podcast. But <laughs> um so yeah, there there are all sorts of dynamics uh and, and just so many tiers of social hierarchy that I had to navigate. Um, uh, but in the grand scheme of things, it just it was just the case that I had to know where I ranked on the totem pole, right? And it was Still near the bottom because I'm a person of color and I'm black and I identify as black. But because I'm afforded a certain proximity to whiteness, I still dealt with racism, but not to the extent of, not to the same extent as my darker skin counterparts. So it's like so many levels, but I still had a place and I still had to know it. And so being outgoing was not necessarily an option for me, and I think it's just like a uniquely me thing from having been uh, placed in a predominantly white environment, a Catholic school at that, and being mic- like one of the, I think the only uh, until like sixth grade, the only mixed race person in the class. That's crazy. Yeah. So
1: how how old were you when you started to feel more comfortable? To be the gregarious, to be that sort of more outgoing person. Is that something that was like learned later or Much. how did that evolve?
0: Oh, yeah. It wasn't until college, really, because I ended up going to a private prep school for high school that uh, I shall not name, but know that if it burns down, I'll laugh. And <laughs> oh, dark. Uh, <laughs> and so it, it was it was kind of like. Double down because that place is very much like I wouldn't be surprised if there are some dudes running around in blazers and MAGA hats in that school now oh yeah 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 so I mean someone in my class for his sweet 16 got a Mercedes g-wagon get out I I don't hate those people I know I hate them I know so like that was definitely a place where I just could not come into my own freely and I didn't play sports uh I got a uh I got a uh, athletics waiver because uh, I was busy playing violin
1: nice in the orchestra yeah I wish they had one of those at my school unfortunately I did have to run the mile very slowly and by run the mile I mean walk the mile
0: yeah yeah I feel that uh oh I tried <laughs> out I tried out for freshman tennis, but we won't talk about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of like middle school traumatic moments, now I'm like having flashbacks now that we're talking about this. I literally remember doing that mile and I was like, I cannot do it. And I, for weeks leading up to it, I ran on the friggin' treadmill in my parents' house trying to do it. And I just got there and I was like, fuck this. I can't do it. And so me and one of the other fat girls were like, fuck it. And we just walked (laughs) the back took me 15 minutes to do that thing but i was like no i'm not doing this shit so and i was yeah pulled up the rear of the two of us and uh, i pretended i was being triumphant about it but i was also like this is terrible i want to die
0: i never understood the purpose of that mile like just uh, to
1: horrify kids that weren't athletic mostly to traumatize them for life uh, i think
0: that that is child abuse i don't care anyway I agree. <laughs> but yeah it wasn't until college where where the beauty of college is that no one gives a shit like no like all the popular people are no longer uh you know like all the horse girls now have to like (laughs) learn about other mammals (laughs) the horse
1: girl the horse girl yeah it's true it's I. that's one thing i wish i could tell people that were young that are young and going through shit it's like hey when you get to college, it's too big for anybody to care about you anymore. So you're going to be fine. No one's going to make fun of you. Horse girl is going to be like bottom of the totem pole again. Everything will equalize. It'll be fine.
0: Yeah. So that's where I, um, I felt a certain degree of acceptance and like I joined a black student union my freshman year and I wasn't the only black identifying mixed race person there. And I was like, Oh my God! There's so much more. There's more of us, and it's not weird. Yeah, yeah, That's and amazing. Yeah, so like it, and and I've always kind of been a little. I don't know. I mean, some people are like, eh, she's weird. Okay, cool. Uh, but like, I met people in college who embraced that about me and didn't look at it as a personality flaw. Just the fact that I have differing opinions and that uh, I approach life and thought differently and and express myself in a way that is not conventionally quote-unquote normal uh people found that endearing and refreshing and so that was college was finally a time where it was like cool yes yes i can i can actually be Tookie kavanaugh and not have to worry about some turd being like, oh, you're not conforming and your value is attached to your level of conformity.
1: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And it's true. It's I think we, as we get older and we experience more people who are similar to us as well as more people who are different than us, in some cases, we're able to sort of come into our own in that way and find our own voice. Um, I thought that was really, I, thank you for opening up about that, Tookie. That was really nice. Uh, I, I'm I'm just tickled. Oh my gosh. it's
0: beautiful! All, all of our listeners get get the uh, Kleenex with the uh, puffs, Vicks puffs. I
1: know. I think I'm gonna call this episode like we get,
0: <laughs> "Shit Gets Personal." I like it. Yeah. But
1: we've got a we've got a couple more couple more weeks of content before the show comes out. So guys, we might keep getting personal. We might get even more personal. It's gonna get uh, real. You guys are just going to get to know us so well. And then when we're like recapping the show and talking about the show, you're just going to feel like really bonded and connected to us. It's going to be beautiful. Um, we're going to hold I'm you just, in our bosoms. I'm just manifesting that. Into the world. <laughs> um, so I think we'll, uh, we'll call it a day, but we will be back next week. Uh, talking more A.D. Bryant stuff, feminist stuff, Lindy West stuff, you know, talking about feelings, talking about being a teenager terrible shit
0: yeah and just oh man getting getting ready for this show and just seeing how they address all of these things because there's so much that goes into the story of any woman but in particular a woman who's oh my god she's so brave a woman who's brave (laughs) enough to tell her story i mean there's a chapter in the book called hello i am fat like a woman who's actually outspoken enough to address this straight up
1: it's, I'm so excited to see them running towards it instead of away from it. It sounds like from the, from the teaser, which we can touch on briefly, which is, I'm so excited about, uh, it got me super pumped, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of little hints that I think they're going to lean into the storyline of, of her being a fat woman and how that impacts her life. And, um, I'm glad to see that they will sort of tackle a little bit of the, of the, psychology, I guess, behind that and how that impacts your life instead of, um, instead of just gra- glazing over it. But it'll also be nice to not have an entire show that's just about like, I'm fat and I'm proud. Let's show 360 degrees of a human being and, um, all the complicated facets of her. So I'm excited.
0: All disrespect to I Feel Pretty, which in Mexico, Ooh. the title is called Sexy Un Accidente. So. <laughs>
1: have that that is on our, our list of things to discuss at some point before this show starts airing so stay tuned we'll uh, tear apart i feel pretty at some point soon i haven't actually watched it yet don't but tookie seems to have strong opinions so i'm looking forward to uh, a rousing discussion about that amy schumer flick
0: oh we're gonna get into it stay tuned
1: it's gonna get real all right we will talk to you guys soon have a good week follow us on the internet's loud woman pod on instagram and twitter uh, if you want to shoot us a note, if you have any feedback, or you want us to talk about anything on the podcast, our Gmail is loudwomenpod at Gmail. And uh, what else? Leave us an iTunes review. We're just getting started. So if you could give us a little, a little five-star love, a little review, that would be really awesome. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, Tookie, where can they find you on the internet?
0: Uh, they shouldn't, but at Tookie Monster on both Twitter and Instagram, I am very problematic.
1: Highly recommend, highly recommended follow. And I'm at hi, this is Marissa, one R, two S's. Guys, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.